Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. If you love running or eating, you'll love this show. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Yes, welcome to day seven of the Pile on the Miles Challenge. And I kind of have a hybrid episode of the podcast for you today um, for anyone new to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast that just is coming along for the Pile on the Miles Challenge. I usually put out a normal episode on Tuesdays and a shorter episode on Fridays. And since today is Tuesday, if you are listening to this in real time or the day that it kind of gets pushed out, I am going to go back to a little bit more of that style because I have a super awesome interview. I talked to a sports med doc about plantar fasciitis because I have been getting a ton of questions about this lately. I actually joked to her when I set up the interview. I'm like, is there like something in the water? Because so many people are asking me about this. So you've been warned. It's a little bit of a longer episode, but it will be informative and helpful, which I am not usually, or I guess not always, those things. So you got to take what you can get, kids. But first, I want to remind you to check in. Day seven of the Pile on the Miles Challenge, you can check in either in the show notes on runnyrepeat.com or on my Instagram at runnyrepeat and let me know what you're doing today, what you're not doing if you're resting. And if you read the fine print of the challenge agreement, um, you know that if you did not stick to all of your planned workouts for the first week of the challenge, The penalty, I've got to double check, but I'm pretty sure the penalty is 10 burpees in the cereal aisle of your local grocery store. So make sure that you get that done. That is the price you pay for not sticking to your plan. I didn't make the rules. Oh, wait, I did make the rules and I actually just made all of that up. But please tell me that I tricked someone because that will make me happy and make me laugh. And if you need some motivation, if you want to feel happy, let me actually tell you a little trick that you can do. This is something that I've kind of realized along the way in running when I have been running before or even racing. And either, you know, when you're running on a path and you're kind of passing someone face to face, so you're running by each other, or even when you're coming behind someone and running past them. I've noticed that when I say like, good job, or like, keep it up, or, you know, something more than good morning, or good afternoon, if you're an afternoon runner, I am a morning runner all the way. Um, When you say something encouraging to someone else out loud, you get a boost. I have really felt this, and I encourage you to try it. You can do it. See, I'm encouraging you to try it. Um, But I have noticed that it really makes me feel good too. It's like this little trick of I am definitely trying to, you know, acknowledge someone else and cheer them on, but it makes me feel good like every single time. And, you know, you're throwing out something positive into the world and you're saying it out loud and you hear yourself say it. And I just, I think it is like this little I don't know. Does everyone already know this? Am I the last one? Or does this only happen to me? Because chime in and let me know if you've ever done this, because I am a huge, huge fan of being a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader in high school. But I I really believe in, you know, we rise by lifting others. And I just encourage you that if you need a little boost, 
it helps to boost someone else. If you cannot shout, way to go, or you're awesome right now, because you happen to still be in the grocery store doing those burpees, which you got to come on, let's go hustle um, or somewhere else that it doesn't seem appropriate to randomly cheer someone on. Um, check out the comments in the show notes and on the Instagram, the daily check-in that everyone is doing because there's a ton of opportunities for you to build someone else up and to encourage them or to tell them congratulations. Every day, there's someone in the comments saying that they did their first double-digit run or they just ran a path that they used to only be able to walk or they had a PR this weekend. Just like different things, different opportunities. People are chiming in saying that they're struggling with an injury. You know, there's all different runners, walkers, you know, athletes that can really use encouragement and motivation. And I would like to let you know that if you need a little boost like that, boosting someone else is definitely helpful. And now let's get to the interview. I am talking with Dr. Marsha Grulsby about treating and preventing plantar fasciitis. She is super awesome and an expert in a lot of different things that I think are very applicable for runners. So hopefully I can have her on the show again. But today we're kind of sticking with this. She's been the team physician for the New York Liberty and U.S. Bathlon and on the board for the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. And she doesn't have a social media, I don't think, but I have the links to the Hospital for Special Surgeries, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So you can check that out in the show notes. Dr. Grosby, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I have been getting a ton of questions lately about plantar fasciitis. So I kind of want to know both how to treat and prevent it. But I guess for anyone that's not familiar, lucky enough to not be familiar with this, right? Can you just kind of start from the beginning and explain what it is? Yeah, it's essentially equivalent to a tendonitis um, on the bottom of your foot. So where your plantar fascia, which is kind of a long, flat tissue that runs along the bottom of their arch and foot, um, where it attaches to the heel, that's often where people get the pain is kind of where it attaches to the bone at the heel. And it's, um, it's a very common problem. It's a very frustrating problem. Uh, on both sides of things, from the physician side and the patient side, because it can be uh, it can be quite stubborn and it can be very painful. And especially in New York City, and true a lot of places, it's hard to avoid. You know, we walk everywhere here. Um, and in somebody who's, for example, trying to train for a marathon or trying to run, it's it's very difficult to run through it when it gets to a certain point. Um, there is a component of inflammation that happens in the beginning. You can even get little tears in the tissue that can cause inflammation and pain. Um, and then a lot of times it turns into more of a chronic um, issue as well in some patients. Whenever we think about sports injuries, and, and it applies to plantar fasciitis as well, I often think about it in terms of intrinsic or ent- extrinsic factors. So intrinsic risk factors are things that you that are innate to your body, and extrinsic are things that are outside of your body. So for example, if you naturally have a very flat foot or a very high arch, kind of both ends of the spectrum can be risk factors, then you might be more likely to get plantar fasciitis. You might naturally be kind of a tight person, like your calves might get tight and the back of your heel can get tight and that can put you at risk. And then there's things that are extrinsic, like like ramping up your running very quickly, um, 
adding in things like hill work, speed work, plyometrics, or jumping exercises can sometimes bring on plantar fasciitis. Being in old shoes or the wrong shoes. And wrong shoes, we could talk about shoes all day and night and not come to any conclusion. Wrong shoes for you is kind of how I explain it to patients. So there may be somebody that has a history of plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis, and they decide to go with a minimalist or zero drop shoe. And that may be a bad thing for that particular person because they have already had a history of issues in that area. And when you're in a lower, flatter shoe, it can load that area a little bit more. Um, Plus, a lot of times people don't transition well from shoe types. So they might have, you know, a a shoe with like a 12 millimeter, um, uh, you know, like a 12 millimeter shoe and they go to like a zero, but there's no transition time, um, which is probably a more common mistake that we see. So that's an example of kind of intrinsic and extrinsic factors. So in terms of prevention, the prevention for plantar fasciitis is what applies to plantar, to prevention tools for almost all running injuries. And that's not progressing too many things too quickly in your training. So if you're increasing your mileage to train for a marathon, don't decide to add in speed work the same week. So you're trying to, um, you know, to, to not make training errors. And then with the shoes, make sure that, especially if you're like about to run a marathon, you know, you're within a couple months, you don't really want to change style of shoe. You know, you don't want to change dramatically what kind of shoe you're in. So if you're due to get new shoes, let's say you've reached that, 250 miles, 300 mile mark or whatever you kind of follow as a rule, then that, um, and and it's time to get new shoes. You want to probably, if you're in the middle of training, stick with the same type of shoe as much as possible. Uh, so those are some of the things that I see that are sort of avoidable things. Um, the, the tightness and things like that and, and, and strength training, so flexibility and strength work is another area where you if you're working on that while you're in your training time, that can help prevent injury as well. People with a lot of weakness in their hips, for example, might be more susceptible to plantar fasciitis. You wouldn't necessarily make that connection automatically, but it can be important. I stole a line from one of my physical therapy colleagues that you need to train to run, not run to train. So I think that this flexibility work and the strength training is a really critical part if you're going to be training for a race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is crazy how everything kind of like adds together, you know, to like kind of lead to an injury or lead to success. And it's hard to pay attention to everything. Or I guess maybe sometimes we think like, being uncomfortable is part of the deal you're signing up for with the marathon. So you're like, yeah, I'm a little tired. I'm a little sore. It just goes with it. And not necessarily looking at that as like, hey, maybe my body is telling me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it can be hard to to kind of find that line because, yeah, you're pushing your body. You're supposed to be sore. You're supposed to have issues. A good general rule that applies to plantar fasciitis as well as other issues, if it's not affecting your gait and it's it kind of warms up and you're okay and it's not pre- increasing overall in pain, it's okay. But it may be the kind of thing like, ooh, I, my plantar fascia like is starting to hurt. I'm going to, you know, maybe take a week off, do some good stretching, maybe massage ball the bottom of my foot and, um, and maybe even take some anti-inflammatories and do some cross training for a week or two and see if it goes away. So that's something because plantar fasciitis, you do kind of want to nip it in the bud a little, so to speak, because if you ignore it and you kind of keep pushing through it, it's not necessarily dangerous, but it can become 
it can stick around a lot longer if you try to push through it. So what are the um, little signals at first that you might start to feel that your body is kind of trying to... People will just feel tightness. That might be kind of the first sign of something is just feeling tight in the arch or tight in the back of the heel. Um, It may be early on where you feel it when you're walking barefoot, but you don't feel it when you run. So that's one thing, especially in New York, we have a lot of apartments with hardwood floors and people are barefoot around in their apartments. And um, that can, if, if something is already brewing, that can make it feel worse. Um, so it might just be like that first step pain is classic description for plantar fasciitis, where when you first get up in the morning or after you've been sitting for a while, particularly if you're barefoot, those first few steps are very painful and then it kind of warms up and gets better. So that sometimes is the beginning signs is that barefoot pain, first step pain, um, and a tightness associated with it. And so then as soon as you kind of start feeling that, you're saying to, you know, either step back a little bit from training and focus on some of the like stretching and um, do you recommend icing? I've heard rolling your foot on like um, a frozen water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that can be helpful because you're getting a little bit of ice, but you're also getting some manual therapy or massage with it. Um, you can just put ice directly on the heel if it's the heel that hurts. Sometimes plantar fascia hurts a lot. Mostly it's pain in the heel, like where that tissue attaches, um, kind of the back of the arch, but some people actually feel it through the whole plantar fascia in the arch itself. So, um, it's not always just heel directly. Um, but yeah, the frozen water bottle thing is nice because it gets a little bit of ice as well as some, uh, working on the tightness there, but you can accomplish the same thing with just, you know, putting your heel on a frozen bag of peas and then maybe separate from that, doing a little, either a rubber ball, um, specifically for foot massage or, you know, I mean, even just like the machine ball or a dog toy, you know, a tennis ball, a golf ball, whatever you happen to have around that you can massage the bottom of your foot. Um, in the arch to kind of get the tightness worked out a little bit. Um, so yeah, ice can be helpful as well. And then um, you were saying about the shoe. So it's mainly the right shoe for you. So not necessarily looking at a more cushioned shoe, because I think that's what we go with when something is hurting is like, I want to kind of cushion it a little bit. But would you recommend like going to a running shoe store and having them look at your arch, look at your foot strike, you know, things like that, and and them kind of assess what kind of shoe to that you should be running in? Or how does someone figure that out? Yeah, yeah. No, I think if you go to a good running shoe store, that can be helpful. If you're having I mean, the main thing that I was saying was you you probably don't want a minimalist shoe if you're starting to have plantar fascia issues. But yeah, some of the the high cushion shoes, which are a little bit more of the trend, um, can be helpful depending on the person that my general rule is go with what feels good. And what feels right. Um, and sometimes that involves inserts of some kind. Sometimes it doesn't. The other thing you want to think about outside of what you're wearing with exercise is what you're wearing outside of exercise. So if you're walking around in ballet flats or flip-flops, well, that's not really going to help your plantar fascia get better. So something with a little bit of support, a little bit of cushion, and even a little bit of a heel uh, for women. So like a, a chunky low heel puts less stress on it and it might make it feel better in the short term. Sometimes gel heel cups that you can buy, you know, at your pharmacy or on Amazon or wherever, not, not, I don't get any money from those guys can, can give you a little bit of cushion and just kind of feel good on that area as well. So there are a host of things that you can do that are out there. And sometimes it's experimenting. 
you know, playing with what feels best, but you're the best judge of what, of, you know, what feels good in terms of shoe wear and inserts. Yeah. And I was, I was going to ask that too, because I, a couple years back had um, some tendonitis or it felt like something was coming on in my toes and I stopped wearing flip-flops for a while. Like I was just like, if I want to be able to run, I need to, you know, like just take better, better care of my feet. And I was wearing those like, you know, super cheap, like target flip-flops or the different slip-on sandals that get all stretched out and to wear kind of like tennis shoes, not necessarily my running shoes because those are always special (laughs) just for running miles. But um, it's hard, especially in Southern California. But I think if it's like a priority, making sure that you're kind of wearing a quality shoe whenever you're walking around or working out or on your feet in general is super important. I was going to ask you about that. Perfect. I'm glad that you kind of (laughs) took the words out of my mouth. And then if you have it, you know, like it's, you didn't listen to this in time. (laughs) Um, I'm glad you said that because so many people come in and they're like, oh, what did I do wrong? Sometimes this is totally out of your control. You know, you did everything right. You did everything you were supposed to do and it still happened. Um, So yes, sometimes you want to identify any errors that were made, but sometimes it's just, you know, you were set up for maybe based on your anatomy and you tried to do everything right and it still can happen. But once you have it, um, uh, the things that I mentioned before, so anti-inflammatories early on, icing it, stretching it, massaging it, sometimes general foot strengthening, physical therapy. There's taping techniques the physical therapists do sometimes, which can be helpful. Um, and a lot of times it's time <laughs> more than anything. Um, but it, you definitely want to do your best to sort of nip it in the bud. So if there's a, an offending activity, we say, so if there's an activity that clearly gets it aggravated, whether it be walking barefoot, whether it be walking in flip-flops, whether it be running, whether it be jumping, doing jump roping, doing, you know, boot camp, whatever it may be that is your sort of aggravating factors, try to avoid those in the beginning. Do what you can do. Maybe you need to cross train. Maybe you need to back off on your running and, you know, do cycling instead. Keep your cardio up. Um, those can all be helpful things and all the things to wear in your shoes and the right kind of shoes. The thing with plantar fascia is you do want to sort of hit it from all sides. There may be multiple things that you need to try. There's probably not going to be one magic bullet. Um, there are other things that are out there that are, that are not first line of defense, in my opinion. So all of those things that I mentioned, those are first line of defense. Avoid offending activities, working on what you're wearing in your shoes and what kind of shoes you're wearing, icing, perhaps anti-inflammatories, depending on how long it's been there, stretching, massage, etc. And then if it's you do everything right and it's sticking around, which it certainly can um, be known to do, then there are other things that are out there. There's injection options. There's shockwave treatment. There's surgery. Those are definitely not first line of defense things, but there are some um, a little bit more outside the box tools that we have that can sometimes be helpful in in refractory cases or cases that aren't getting better with the standard treatments. What is shockwave treatment? Because I feel like I've heard of, of that people saying I've tried this or have you heard that this works? And I don't really know. Yeah, it's sort of a high-intensity um, sound wave is the best way to describe it um, that sort of gets deep into the tissues. Um, and a lot of these things are sort of trying to stimulate healing that our bodies naturally 
would like to do, but just need a little help getting there. Um, cortisone injections, they have a role. I would say that I don't use those very often because I don't think they're very healthy for the tissues that you're injecting around. Um, but there is a time and a place for cortisone injections. There's things like PRP where they take your blood and inject it back into the plantar fascia. So there are, um, those are all things that are not his mainstream, um, but can be done in cases where you're just really not turning the corner. But that's usually after months of all those other um, conservative treatments. Mm-hmm. Why is it that sometimes it is um, those first steps in the morning that it really seems like it flares up or yeah, that's so when people notice? For those that are into sailing, me not being one of them, but I learned this term, um, the plantar fascia is like a windlass mechanism. I hope I'm saying that, describing that right in sailing, where basically if you imagine, I know you can't see my hand, but if you imagine creating a little cup with your, with your hand um, and putting it on the table, that's your plantar fascia. So when it when you put weight on it, it tightens up more to maintain your arch. Sorry for the beep. Um, to maintain your arch. And that, um, and that is why it hurts so much because not only are you putting all of your weight onto it, but you're also putting all of the stress and force of your weight on it and it's tightening. It's getting stretched essentially. So that's why it hurts so much with that first step because overnight your foot has been pointed. And so the plantar fascia has been relaxed. And so when you first get up, you're putting all your weight onto it and you're stretching it out all the way at the same time, which is the theory why people wear the night socks and the night boots, which is another treatment I forgot to mention, but is pretty common practice. And that's the, that's the idea behind it. So you're, you're keeping it on stretch during the night so that it doesn't shorten up. So you're not kind of every morning almost re-injuring it, so to speak, when you're kind of putting your weight and stretching it out. So um, there's night splints or night boots um, and then there's more recent is like the night sock that has the attachment that goes from the toe to the shin, which I find my patients tolerate a little bit better than the classic boot or splint. Um, uh-huh. and you know, for some people they're very effective and they can be very helpful. The main complaint is some people just can't do it. You know, they can't sleep well with that and with that on. I'm trying to mute my thing. Let me see. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, muted. Um, so that can be helpful uh, as well. I love that you mentioned that because I I've seen those. I've because I've done research when people are asking me and I don't really know and I've looked into all these different treatment options and I saw those and I'm like, this looks very interesting and I don't know why it is a thing. But right, it seems kind of um, archaic, but the idea behind it makes sense and it, and it can be very effective for some people. But yeah, there's a night sock which is not quite as um, bulky and uncomfortable, I think, though I say that without having put any of them on myself. So Mm -hmm. I know they look, it's very interesting. It looks very silly. And just like, I mean, whatever I'm all, I'm all for whatever works, you know? So I've seen those and I've been really curious though. Like, why does this work? Like, Hmm. They look very silly, but I, I'd be willing to put whatever. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah, those were um, my main questions about it, just because I think it really you touched on all the bases of it. Is there anything else that people should know if there's one thing? Yeah, there's one thing I want to mention, which um, um, is what could it if it's could it be something else? 
And um, the main thing that you want to be cautious of is is um, stress fractures. Now, I'm not just saying that because that's my that's my thing, um, but a calcaneal, which is your heel bone, can get a stress fracture in it, and um, it can very much mimic plantar fasciitis. Um, but the main, how do you tell the difference between the two? I think some of it's severity of the pain, but it's also location. So whereas plantar fasciitis really is like just under, you know, kind of like if you can put your finger on the bottom of your, the pad of your heel, but a calcaneal stress fracture will kind of involve the whole heel. So it'll come more on the inner heel. It can come on the outer heel and it can, and it often doesn't improve as you walk. You know, whereas the plantar fascia, the first step hurts, but then it gets warmed up and it doesn't feel as bad. Um, the calcaneal stress fractures just hurt every time you put your foot down. So that may be something to keep in the back of your mind because that can needs to be evaluated with imaging and is going to be treated differently, um, mainly with rest and potentially a walking boot. So that's uh, something to, especially in runners, they can get the calcaneal stress fractures and it can be missed, um, misdiagnosed in the beginning. Yeah, it is crazy how everything kind of like adds together, you know, to like kind of lead to an injury or lead to success. And it's hard to pay attention to everything. Or I guess maybe sometimes we think like being uncomfortable is part of the deal you're signing up for with the marathon. So you're like, yeah, I'm a little tired. I'm a little sore. It just goes with it. And not necessarily looking at that as like, hey, maybe my body is telling me something. Yeah. And don't be afraid to say, could it be a stress fracture? don't be afraid to speak up and voice your concerns yes I totally agree I totally agree about that be your own advocate I always joke that I'm a hypochondriac but I think really I just am a huge fan of being your own advocate and kind of being informed about your health and um, being able to speak up for it and find the information that you need to feel completely healthy thank you so much for speaking with me I really appreciate it now let's talk about the Instagram running scavenger hunt. Today, the scavenger hunt item is not really an item, actually. It is stretch. And it could be an item because you could take a picture of something stretchy or yourself stretching. I really love this because this is actually one of my goals for the month is to stretch after each of my hard workouts. And there's three hard workouts that I am shooting for a week. So this is a good reminder for me. Make sure that you use hashtag team RER and tag me at running repeat on Instagram when you share your stretching picture, whatever that might be, get creative. And also check out the show notes for the pro compression giveaway. I really appreciate you hanging out for this kind of longer episode. If you have any questions for me, or maybe you want me to talk to an expert about something else, running or eating or repeating related, definitely let me know. You can always direct message me, leave a comment, or you can call the Runny Repeat podcast line, which I will put in the show notes because I do not have it memorized. And that's all for today. I hope you had fun. And Thank you so much for listening. If you can, please remember to subscribe and rate the show in whatever app you're using. Have a great run. Thank you for listening to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. For more information, check out runeatrepeat.com.